Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts on movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So, Nathan, what are we talking about today? Well, hey, Daniel, were you a fan of The Witcher? Oh, I'm a big fan of The Witcher. I love that. Did you hear that Netflix already wants to do a spinoff series of it? I was very much aware of that. One of my coworkers is also a huge Witcher fan, and uh, I was told by my coworker that this is a new property. Apparently, it's an animated series, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and they want to do it as a prequel, showcasing the first Witcher. Yeah, which is going to be really interesting to see. I haven't read all the books. I'm making my way through the books. But so far, all the books obviously focus on a specific time and specific characters, and it doesn't make very many references to anything from way back in time, you know. So they make some references, but not too many. So I'm curious to see what how they're going to do this and what they're going to do with this. Yeah, that's kind of my thought on it is how much of this is being driven by the original author and the original creators of The Witcher versus how much of this is just Netflix wanting to have a little bit more free reign you know they, they can take snippets they know what comes after and they have snippets of what came before mm-hmm. but it seems like they should have free range to develop and create this however they want to do it yeah i mean and it's a great move for netflix to also capitalize on the huge success of the season one of witcher my only thought though is i'm not a huge fan of prequels You know, it depends on the type of prequel. If we're talking about way a long time ago, like The Witcher, I'm typically okay with those. And the reason is, is because it's a completely different time. You're taking me to a familiar place, and yet it's completely different if we're talking about hundreds or thousands of years in the past. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, as long as it's far enough in the past that the events can't really contradict, but it's like... Right. Star Trek, for instance, is coming up with a new show that's supposed to feature Pike commanding the Enterprise. And it's like, why? Why are you telling us more about this past stuff? We have... You're pretty much guaranteed in that scenario to contradict something in either the original series, the next generation, D Space Nights Voyager, something that came after it. Right. We know Pike commanded the Enterprise. We have the original pilot. We know what happens to Pike in the end when they revisit the original pilot in the original series. We don't really need what's in between those two points. I want to see the world and the universe expanded and not right. looked back so often. Absolutely. I think that's also a good point in that a lot of prequels, what they do is that instead of expanding the world, they sort of enclose it sometimes some prequels do take liberties and add additional stuff to the world that wasn't present in the original movies a movie or a series that i can clearly point out that has that problem is the hobbit yeah i mean i'll be honest after watching the lord of the rings movies i enjoyed them and when they said they're making the hobbit i was like oh a good adaptation of the hobbit this is gonna be fun i went to watch the first movie after the first movie i never actually watched any of the others look i'm gonna be honest with you you're not you're not missing much <laughs> like don't get me wrong i like the hobbit movies i think they're i think they're good they're not great they're not amazing they're good but if you're not gonna watch them i'm not gonna be like how dare you not watch the hobbit movies yeah especially after establishing a really amazing world in the lord of the rings to have the hobbit come in and try to expand it and make it better and bigger it just didn't fit the storyline and that's a weird thing because as far as the novels go the hobbit really seemed to expand and tell more again 
again, confession time, when it came to the books, I like The Hobbit better than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But when it came time to watching the movies and going back to watch The Hobbit, I'm like, why? Why? Yeah. Whatever magic Tolkien had to expand on the world with The Hobbit, it just did not feel captured in the movie to me. To me, it felt like he was trying to outdo Lord of the Rings in terms of it, but also at the same time, try not to outdo Lord of the Rings. It was just couldn't decide what it wanted to do in terms of that feel of like, this is way better, guys. But wait, we can't outdo what's coming next. <laughs> yeah, that's not something we want to do. And you can't have the prequels be better than the sequels, right? Right. Another topic, jumping back to probably your favorite topic, Rolls World Tour. <laughs> Well, immediately when you said your favorite topic, I was like, oh my God, is he going to talk about Trolls World Tour? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it's kind of an ongoing joke, but we previously we talked about how the success of Trolls World Tour led to Universal and AMC getting into a little fight with them trying to do a simul release with all future movies theater and video on demand same time exactly well they have actually reached an accord they have come to an agreement wow what's the agreement previously the general agreement was a movie could not come out on video on demand until at least two and a half months after the theatrical release Okay. Under the new agreement, Universal is going to be able to release Video On Demand two weeks after theatrical. 17 days. Wow. Two weeks. Let's take a moment to think about that because two weeks is not a long time. I mean, it's enough to get that opening weekend buzz and box office record. And then the following weekend after, I guess, if someone was really interested in going to the movie theaters opening weekend, they would make that a thing. If by the second weekend, I feel like you don't have that drive to go see this movie in theaters, you're probably never going to go and you're just going to rent it online. And that's the thing that gets me on that is there is that thought of the people who really want to see it are going to be rushing out on opening weekend but from my understanding of distribution contracts most of the box office sales in that first two weeks goes to the production company it goes to universal after that it slowly starts petering out to have more and more of the ticket sales going to the actual theater that's why theaters are so reliant on the concession stands is because that's where they make most of their money on opening releases so then what's the incentive for theaters that's my question is like by the time it starts pandering out and the theaters have the chance to earn more of the ticket sales yeah the production the distribution company and the production company have already gotten their opening box office mega sales weekends yeah but now once it starts going more towards theaters now they're going to be like well you can't just pay us directly now with our video on demand services right so a lot of people are kind of asking did this whole pandemic kill the movie theater amc agreeing to this kind of has me worried yeah i'm not gonna lie that does sound real bad for theater companies i mean to me it sounds like they're very close to declaring bankruptcy yeah i mean they were already on thin margins to begin with right i don't know i mean because again the theater experiences and we sort of had this conversation before as home theater technology advances and it becomes way more affordable it really does have an impact on the theater experience because nowadays you can very easily or rather it's 
like if you have the space for it, it's more attainable to have a theater like experience at home than it yeah. was, you know, 20 years ago, for example. And so theater companies had to work on improving the technology, bringing new stuff like 3D, you know, surround sound, Dolby Atmos, and now it's like, you know, Dolby Vision. And those things are only ever like, you know, three, four, five months behind theaters, get their upgrades and you can buy it at home. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't very long before we had Dolby Atmos sound bars, for example, or have TVs that had incredible picture quality. 4K definition with the 3D exactly. upgrade features and all that stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Again, theater companies had to continue to invest on research and development, continue to invest on all that stuff to bring out the new, better, great thing that you can't have at home so that that would have to drive people in to have those premium experiences. And so that couldn't have been cheap for them to invest on. And to now be in a situation where they're not going to see any actual returns on that. Yeah, it's it's bad times. They just need to get James Cameron in with Avatar 2 and Avatar 3 and come up with some means of displaying and producing that uh, movie that just simply cannot be recreated in the home anytime in the near future. Yeah. They need that breakthrough point if they really want to remain viable long term. Yeah. I'm saying this from a point of like concern because... I personally enjoy theaters. Me too. Yeah, they're great. And the other thing that gets me is a lot of times we keep hearing about the struggle to reopen theaters and everything under the moon is getting pushed back because no one really knows what theaters are going to be doing and such. And I keep hearing about these movies that have gotten theatric releases, but my local independent theater has been open. But all they've been showing are classic movies like Jurassic Park and Back to the Future. Yeah. These limited releases, the few movies that are actually still being released into the theater, for whatever reason, are not coming to the few theaters that actually are open. So how can they expect a huge comeback huge resurgence to see that the audience that the public is ready to watch the movies again if they're not distributing what few movies people are willing to release are yeah look i mean movie distribution rights for theaters is from the very very limited knowledge that i have on it is very complicated and there's a lot of money and interest involved in there with that and so it's something that i i definitely want to learn more about that because that is a very interesting thing especially your local theater that's not like a huge theater or anything like that right but for the smaller towns to see what that distribution of movies is like yeah i mean like take for instance our previous episode on palm springs you go to rotten tomatoes and you will see people talking about seeing palm springs at the drive-in theater with another little known sci-fi movie archive yeah why could an archive have come to my local theater i would have loved to have seen gone out to a theater to see a clever new and original sci-fi movie exactly yeah and that is another good segue nathan into our topic for today's episode which is archive this is a new film was scheduled to be released in theaters but obviously the pandemic pushed that out and it was became a digital release and it was released on july 10th of this year so you can rent this by the way on google play movies and we watched it on amazon prime yeah amazon prime also has it so you can definitely rent it it was six six dollars 99 cents for the rental 
you're not going to pay what you would normally pay on other places like Voodoo or anything like that. I think the new releases were going for like $20 or something like that, if I recall correctly. Even more in some cases, yeah. By all means, check this out. For the price of less than one ticket, maybe a matinee ticket, depending on your market. Yeah. You can sit down for a movie night with your significant other. This is an enjoyable movie to watch. This is a pretty good sci-fi movie. Although I will say, fair warning to people here. I'm not happy with the ending of this movie at all. I That upset me so much. And we're going to talk about that later, but let's talk about the good stuff about this movie and what I really did like. It's a fantastic sci-fi movie with great acting, great performances. The writing, 90% of the writing was great, except for that 10%, which ruined the rest of it. But it does have that really great build of sci-fi. Everything that makes a classic sci-fi, but also that gives a really nice spin to it. It's one of these sci-fi movies that tends to borrow from a lot of different sci-fi movies that have come before and just kind of give it its own flavor, which I really enjoyed. So a little bit of a synopsis. This movie is about a robotic expert who has landed a contract for three years to develop the next generation of artificial intelligence. He is going to be isolated with his significant other, his wife, in a remote part of Japan to get a facility up and running, develop his new artificial intelligence, and bring the next generation to market. Incredible deal. And then a car accident happens, and he loses his wife. Yep. That's a synopsis. On that, there were some parts that kind of bothered me. I believe I mentioned this previously. I had lived in Japan for quite a few years, and I'm looking at the scenery and the set pieces that they chose. Unless you have never been in Japan, none of this really makes you think think of Japan other than a few bits of katakana and hiragana on the walls of his facility. Yeah, which to me, it just more indicated of how isolated it was from everything else. That you couldn't even recognize the landmarks. Like that's how removed it is from the rest of society. Yeah, almost like it was the main character had one idea of what kind of life he was going to be having in there. And that's what the movie chose to portray to you as the audience yep exactly which don't get me started don't get me started i'm so angry i want to push your buttons i mean again i think we have a different take on this because you've never been to japan i have so when i was watching this I kept seeing this as visually and architecturally and story-wise, this is like a story, a image of something that someone who has never been there, but has a certain expectation of things to see, would create for themselves. Yeah. On that, look, maybe revisiting this movie the second time is not going to be as mad, because if I take it from that perspective, yeah, it makes it look, it makes it more believable from that standpoint. But I do want to point out, folks, look, I hated this. The ending of this movie i hated it so much <laughs> so our podcast is riddled with spoilers it always is and we're always several weeks after it comes out so we're hoping that you have seen this movie because again as i said despite my hatred of the ending i don't consider this my waste of time i do still thought that this movie was a great addition to the sci-fi genre throughout the movie we find george played by theo james and and 
Theo James, uh, fun fact, did the voice of Hector in Castlevania. I kept thinking I recognized him, but it turns out I was just recognizing his voice. Yeah. Because, I mean, he played number four in Insurgent. Right. But I didn't really recognize him from Insurgent. I was recognizing the voice and be like, who is this guy? I know this guy. Why can't I play some? I can play some because he had a different face to that voice that I was looking for. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so throughout the movie, we find George speaking to his, what we believe is his dead wife, because up until this point, we all believe that his wife is dead. It turns out that it's the other way around. His wife is the one that's alive and he is the one that died in the car crash that day. And the entire thing we saw was basically a simulation or... I don't know, something that he constructed in the archive. We see a few cutbacks to him talking about what the archive is. And basically, the backstory is society in the next 18 years or so figures out a way that after your death, they can artificially keep your brain active in order to allow loved ones to say goodbye and have a few final conversations before you reach terminal brain death. But it is a temporary thing. The longer it goes on, the more the brain deteriorates, the more it shuts down, and they keep talking about preparing for the final conversation. Right. Which, when we see that in the flashbacks, his wife was like very much against yeah. it. So when he has a conversation and she's crying and saying, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Well, that kind of makes sense. It's it's that part of her mind, her consciousness that says, I don't want to keep being brought back because I was against right. this in life. But again, that's a reveal. It's not her saying she can't keep being brought back. She just keeps not wanting to come back. That's right. She wants to say her final goodbyes. And look, this movie is written and directed by Gavin Rothery. I gotta say to Gavin, how you hid the final reveal at the end, how it was purposely hidden and going back to it, obviously you can, you have more knowledge now so you can see, ah, I see what he was doing here and, you know, kind of figure it out and all that. But how you hit that, how the director and the, you know, slash writer hit that was brilliant because that reveal, yeah, it came as a shock to me. I didn't pick up on any of this stuff. It was very subtle. I appreciated that. I just have a problem when we have such an amazing story being told and then for us to find out that none of it is real everything is just like a made-up concert that it had and that to me but i thought you liked twists <laughs> you always tell me you love twists in movies there's good twists and there's bad twists the twists that are like guess what none of that matter because none of that happened i hate those twists <laughs> <laughs> that's why I have such a hard time with time travel movies and that's why I think that Endgame handled it in the best way I could think of because of that yeah I mean I was really nervous about Endgame when I heard the rumors that it was going to be a time travel movie but I agree I think they did handle it they didn't erase or undo the things that came before and continue it forward fun little trivia though Gavin apparently came up with the concept for this movie when his two home computers had critical hard drive failures 
on the same day. And he started thinking, what is it like for the computer when the computer is dying? Mm, Wow. And that is where the story was, is he was trying to deal with the computer of the mind as it is slowly deteriorating. What does it go through in its final moments? And that was his motivation for writing this movie. That's a really interesting motivation. Well, I also wonder what kind of drugs he was on when he was thinking that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. That's a clever metaphysical thing. You could have that kind of discussion with your friends at a bar over a couple beers. Exactly. It's just your average Tuesday afternoon happy hour conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I just hung out with nerdier friends in college, I guess. (laughs) Oh... But look, there have been other use of this specific type of twist being done before that I actually very much enjoyed. There's an episode in the Netflix compendium Love, Death Plus Robots. There is a particular episode that has something very similar to this where the character, you know, wakes up and realizes that everything that he has just experienced is a complete and total fabrication and his reality is much worse that he chooses to go back to being back in the dream world because that's so much better than facing the real world and the real predicament of that he's in. And to me, mm-hmm. that was a really interesting way of handling it. And I really liked it, how that was handled. This one, though, I feel like it just didn't help its case. I think the biggest reason that this doesn't really play out too well as far as being a twist is concerned, it's a little too sudden. I mean... You can go back and you can look at it and say, yeah, there's a lot of clue that tells you this is George's dreamscape. This is his mind trying to make sense of being kept in this semi-conscious state so that his loved ones can say goodbye. But at the same time, it's a little too sudden, a little too quick in the flip and the reveal of it because you think over the course of everything he achieved some really great things yeah but once they pull that rug from under your feet well all those achievements are meaningless exactly they really strip you out from that feeling and again that is the issue that i have is that it left me feeling like again like somebody just pulled the rug from under me and it really took me away from how what i was feeling and i do want to point out by the way when it comes down to the whole the reveal was too quickly and we didn't get that progression of having to figure out that the world that he's in may not be real i do want to point out there is a one movie that i can very easily and quickly point out that does this whole is the world that we're in real or not is inception yeah i wanted to go there too (laughs) inception does that really well the reason i think inception succeeds where this one maybe doesn't necessarily succeed for the audience i mean this has a lot more shock value than inception yes absolutely but what inception did is Cobb's whole motivation throughout that movie was to accomplish this impossible thing in order to get back to the united states to visit with his kids yeah if he succeeds he will be able to be with his kids again. Yep. And at the same time, his fear was he would get go so far and so deep, he would get trapped in this dream world forever mm-hmm. and never be able to get out because he would be trapped with, ultimately, his ideal, what he really, really wants. Right. 
So at the end of the movie, when they do that little spinning the top thing and does it tip over or not tip over, is it real or is it fake? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. Right. But from Cobb's point of view, it doesn't doesn't matter. matter. He still gets his reward. He is finally home with his kids. Exactly. And it was more left for interpretation. Christopher Nolan has gone on record and said that Cobb made it out into the real world and ended up with his family in the real world. But that doesn't mean that no one can argue the other side he made the movie specifically with that intent is to let the audience make up their mind on it with his intent he did leave a puzzle piece to keep his intent clear and that was the wedding ring yeah exactly and that's the kind of subtle thing that works i think in this case he accomplishes his goal he finally gets his wife downloaded yep and then they do a reveal of being like guess what too bad guess what you don't get what you wanted that's not even guess true what? <laughs> That was the problem because right up until that, the last five, maybe even 10 minutes of the movie, you know, you have people who are pursuing, trying to break in so that they can steal the technology or something like that, right? Well, yeah, because he's illegally hacking into the archives proprietary product in order to advance his AI research, which is totally illegal in the world. And even the real world, that would be a violation of so many laws. So it gave this real sense of danger and problems. If he gets caught, he loses everything. And that's the thing, right? Is that they were very close to getting to him him at the very end of the movie and then when the door opened and they weren't there that was my first thought of like what the f is happening now this is weird yeah what why did everyone suddenly disappear right even from the sense of this is his brain his dream why would they just disappear why would the construct that his mind was creating for himself suddenly just end maybe it was because his brain was shutting down and the simulations or these people were disappearing from his mind because he was reaching the end Yeah, is the only explanation that I can think of. It just, that ending, again, it just felt like you it robbed you. And the reason why it felt like it robbed me of it is because everything before that was such an emotional roller coaster. And it was... J.O. 2? Yes! J.O. 2, I mean, the whole movie is written and directed, the cinematography, everything is so great. And that's why I was so upset is because you took me on a really good journey and story. You made me laugh. You made me cry. You gave me the range of emotions that I expect of good movies to do. See, now another thing that really made it fall flat for me on that same thing is like, is this really great journey? Is this really great emotional thing? But then three years in his world have passed of three years of him working on this, but also three years in the real world has passed. So his wife, who we didn't uh, mentioned before was pregnant at the time of the car accident went on to have the child she went on to have a daughter she only waited till the final call to try and get the closure of saying look your daughter is healthy your daughter's still alive really yeah and see for me going back and reflecting more in the movie to me that seemed more like it was something that the wife must have told him that Jules I want to use her name the character Jules Jules must have told George that they had a child but George again just wanted to live in his own reality and that reality didn't have that information and that's why when in his construct the memories of his and that just 
why does it make sense for the construct, I think? But that's the thing, right? Is that because this is still his mind, we cannot erase our own memories. We still remember things. Mm -hmm. And that's why how those memories were coming back and being brought back into George were through J3, right? J3 was telling George, I remember I was pregnant. And then George's look wasn't a look of, what? Are you kidding me? How did I not know this? His reaction wasn't that, which means that this was a way of him like, oh, crap. Yeah, I'm just going to push this and I'm going to ignore it. Yeah, I mean... I guess more things to look for on a second viewing, I guess, because the fact that the daughter was there in that final call just is one of the things that threw me for a loop. And I was like, no, I I don't like how this is ending. That is also probably another reason why George was more of a father figure for J1 than he was for J2. Yeah, J1 was kind of his baby. Uh, He even made a comment that it had the mental capacity of a three-year-old or something. Five-year-old. Five-year-old? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's like, it was his toddler, it was his baby that he was trying to raise. Maybe from that perspective... It was how his consciousness interpreted the mom mentioning that he had a daughter. Yeah. Is he kept imparting that thought onto J1 of this is what I would expect from a child or this is the way I would expect a child to behave. Right. So to me, instead of like admitting and facing the fact that he had a five-year-old daughter, he instead turned that whole fact and reality into a construct of J1. To me, that's why J1 was there at the end also right i mean it's because j1 was a representation of his daughter and on these wish fulfillment things though it's like okay so you have j1 which is this big blocky thing with just legs he apologizes he never got around to developing its arms and then he did j2 which was a more or less humanoid robot yeah then j3 was leaps and bounds above any of the other designs yes way advanced for a while for most of the movie that actually kept bothering me because i'm like that's not how development progression works no no you would see more stages between j2 and j03 i know that technological progression is exponential and not linear but at the same time that growth from j1 to j2 made sense yeah that made sense for sure j2 to j3 not really part of j2 story was j2 was just Jealous of being replaced by J3. Yeah. He even at one point took J2's legs and then gave it a different set of legs. That made me so angry, by the way. That made me so <laughs> angry. It's like, if you're able to make a new set of legs for J2 after you take J2's legs to incorporate to J3, you're like, why why couldn't you just make new legs for J3 man why, why do you have to why do you have to do that to your girl man he treated J2 so poorly look I do want to point out George is not a good dude he's not <laughs> it's an interesting aspect where your main protagonist of a story is not really one that you are set to root for yeah this is a bit of writing that I actually kind of enjoy you are set to not root for the protagonist but you're set to root for his journey journey yeah 
I agree with that. They do that fairly well over the course of this movie. I know. And again, that's another reason why the ending was so much more like taking a punch to the gut because of that. It's because the character of George, again, not a good dude, but more of a real dude. That to me is what makes this movie more compelling is because I'm watching someone who is more real, who someone who is more likely to exist, someone who has clearly not dealt with the loss of his wife and he takes out that whole inability to process onto J2 has basically no regard for J2 to the point where it drives J2 to commit suicide which was such an incredibly heartbreaking scene because to be treated that poorly is just I can't even imagine you know and this is for an AI right who has still feelings I mean J2 if I recall correctly had the mental development I believe was someone of the age of 15 yeah that's a troubling time I mean yeah in his mind in his construct he was downloading his wife's consciousness into these robots to create their ai so he basically created a angsty teenager who was absolutely in love with him that was being neglected yeah by the object of their desire i mean that was tragic it was really tragic and look i get it teenagers can be a pain in the ass but <laughs> that doesn't mean that you should treat them like crap george was not a good person to j2 that part of it made me so anger very upset with george and again it's this roller coaster is what i'm talking about right that you want everyone to get along you're rooting for everybody but then one of them is not being kind to the others but at the end when they were being chased you're like oh god i don't want anything bad to happen to george and jules or j3 and you know it's it's uh you go through that back and forth of like i'm rooting for these people i'm not that guy sucks and like well never mind maybe there's some redemption here and it just really takes you back and forth on that and it's great i really enjoyed that i actually want to touch a little bit on the pacing of this movie for the most part of this movie, a lot of the pacing is rather slow. Yes. It's a slow build. It's a slow burn. I'm going to boomerang way back our first episode. We warn people sometimes we'll get off topic and boomerang it back around. <laughs> I got to ask you, did you ever see the Nicolas Cage movie Adaptation? I actually have not. Okay. Adaptation is a movie starring Nicolas Cage about a character struggling to adapt a novel, The Orchid Thief. The movie was originally kind of promoted as being an adaptation of that book into a movie, but in actuality, it was an adaptation of a nonfiction book story by Robert McKee on how to make compelling screenplays, compelling movies. Okay. In the book and really highlighted in the movie because it does the same thing. It has a slow build. You're kind of just going along with it. Robert McKee says if you can wow the audience in the final act, the final 20 minutes of the movie, they are going to forgive everything that came before it. So circling this back around boomeranging it back to archive you really see this because it has that slow build that slow burn and then all of a sudden the action ramps up he has to quickly get this done the enemies at his gates he's barricading his doors they're cutting in yeah. they're coming at you all of a sudden the action is really high and the tension is really high and the action is really high you get so caught up in that final moment that when they reveal the doors open you're like what and you forget all about the pacing mm -hmm. and the 
first part of this movie because your mind is solely on this fast, action-paced third act, and all of a sudden, this hard drop of what happened, and your initial thought is like, this is kind of amazing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there was not a moment in this movie that I felt bored. The writing and the pacing, as you mentioned, yes, a little bit of a slow burn to begin with, but it's not without the intrigue. Is not without the, huh, I want to know more. I want to see what happens next. You know, it's not without that. You definitely have those moments. I also want to point out Stacey Martin, phenomenal job as J2, J3, and Jules. Just really great performance, especially as J3. Those early scenes when she was coming alive and you really could see that whole performance of believability of someone who is just, you know, consciousness is awakening and all that. And Theo James does a great job as well portraying someone just desperate desperately trying to bring back that which he lost absolutely honestly he's being hector again he is trying to be an artist and bringing back the dead yeah it's crazy right another similar archetype <laughs> the archetypes are there and he does a great job of portraying it very much as with hector's conversations with the vampire sister the same thing yeah. he was having similar conversations about the meaning and everything else with j2 which he portrays that so well. Absolutely. The only part on that that really kind of bothered me, though, was his general reaction to J3 climbing into bed with him. Because I'm like, I'm sorry, isn't this the whole reason why you're building a sex robot to look like your wife? (laughs) Why are you freaking out about her actually doing what you want her to do? Right. And see, the only thing that I could think of is that it's not her. It's not Jules. And so he probably recoiled at that because he probably felt like he was cheating on her her. or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's only partially downloaded her from the archive. He hadn't fully downloaded her yet. So I guess. Right. Also, one other point of complaint and inconsistency that I did not like at the end, which is another thing that actually bothered me about the end. J3's willingness to just be like, okay, sure, you can erase my whole being in existence and put your dead wife into my brain. No problem. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing when he did the blast apart her exoskeleton and like reforged her so she would have hair and legs and be able to move around outside of her framework. That really should have just been J4. Right. Exactly. You know, J3's willingness to just be okay with being erased and killed, you know, for all intents and purposes, that logic didn't jive well with me. And so that's another thing that was a little upsetting about the ending. I think overall it just ties into the fact that it is a dreamscape. It's his mind trying to make sense of everything and the signals it's receiving that's keeping him going to make these archive phone calls to his living wife that he ultimately knew he needed to move on from J2 to reach J3. Right. So his mind removed J2 from the construct. He knew that J3 was a close proximity but wasn't his wife. Right. So he needed J3 to sacrifice herself to be replaced by the consciousness of his wife. Right. It was his mind doing that same wish fulfillment. After the reveal, I think those things can be a little bit more forgivable because it's what he wanted and he's the one driving everything. Right. But before the reveal, it's like... Incredibly upsetting. Dang it, man. 
<laughs> Seriously. You can't create artificial intelligence and just throw it in the closet, man. Right. The point of this artificial intelligence is that it was supposed to resemble a human being as closely as we can, as closely as we could make a human being. Yeah, so we have a responsibility to them. That's how you start the robot apocalypse, right? <laughs> treating them like that man come on right not only that but i would imagine that george would have built a will to live quote unquote for an ai so that it wouldn't just be like sure you can kill me or you can destroy me or you can do whatever no you need self-preservation to be built in to my knowledge from what we saw on screen throughout the movie j3 had self-preservation programmed in so that whole thing just went out the window in those last few moments of the movie and again as you mentioned pre-reveal really upsetting i hated that because it just did not make sense post-reveal sure i guess you can make a reasoning behind it but it still doesn't make it better (laughs) and i think that's kind of one of the things that drives us as the difference between what will go down as a good movie versus a great movie is if you have a reveal like this you have to keep it true to both pre-reveal and post-reveal you have to have people be like everything before the reveal makes sense everything before the reveal was great everything after the reveal makes even more sense and makes everything even greater yeah and i think they ultimately fell a little bit short on that level in this particular movie right they wanted to do the whole thing with inception right was it a dream or was it real and inception handled that really well archive it did not do such a great job with that well archive they just outright answered the question it was a dream the whole time Exactly. What I expected to happen, actually, was that I expected George to sacrifice himself so he could have J3 run away or Jules or whatever. You know, I expected that to happen. Somehow succeed in that download, get her into the Jeep or the car or whatever he had and have her escape while he holds off the people that are there to claim his proprietary architecture for themselves. Right. Exactly. And you could still have a bittersweet ending like what we got but done in a way that it doesn't take away anything that happened before Mm -hmm. and that's what I wanted and we didn't get that and ultimately I think that's what made this movie go from great to just good again it's like if his mind is creating the construct this dreamscape why would he pull in the actual real world technicians that are working on the matrix that his brain is being kept alive in the archive his brain is being kept alive in then when he goes to recontact them it's like oh there's no record of this it's like either he is somehow semi-consciously aware of the technicians that's keeping his archive running or he's not aware of them at all which one is it because they kind of did both yeah and again it was i guess it was part of the conspiracy i mean in the moment when that was happening i'm like oh were they not really of the archive were they corporate saboteurs were they with the company he's working for it created all these interesting questions that the reveal was just like no no it's just no yeah exactly and that didn't make sense it still doesn't make sense to me this is the problem when we do things like this when we do big reveals that the whole world wasn't the construct and all of that stuff you get to criticize it you get to pick it apart and when things don't make sense it kind of breaks the illusion and then we go back to it taking something great and just reducing it to good however that's not to say that i don't want to see more stuff from gavin rothery i definitely do yeah he definitely has the talent yeah absolutely there's a lot more that is good about this movie than what is negative about the movie absolutely
absolutely. And I know we didn't get a chance to talk about the designs of the robots and just this whole futuristic design and what we expected the future to look like, which I thought was really well done. And I mean, this is only his second writing project. Yeah. His first one was a short film. To do one short film and one full-length feature, and this is the full-length feature you gave us, that's great. Yeah. You did a good job on it. We can nitpick about this. We can complain about this, but there is more good than bad in this. Yeah. And that should be a positive takeaway for Gavin, for anybody who is looking at his future career, either fans that are following or producers that are looking for the next project. Absolutely. I love the fact that this is a sci-fi that's not an adaptation of anything. Yeah. This is an original story. Yes. Developed for film. I want this. This is the stories that I want. Yes. Give me more of this. Look, there's talent here. Absolutely. And I can't wait to see what happens next. This is what I got when I was first introduced with Christopher Nolan. These are the same feels I got when I was first introduced with Denis Villeneuve. When it comes to sci-fi, I just want to see more. Yeah, I mean, you only get these original sci-fi creations so often. Yeah. You have, obviously, George Lucas with Star Wars. Revolutionary. James Cameron with his Terminator. The original Terminator is not so much the more recent stuff. Yeah. But the stuff that James Cameron was personally invested in. Yeah. Christopher Nolan's early works. These were great things. These are original, groundbreaking things. Gavin, I think, has... I mean... Hopefully, this is not a one-and-done trend for him. Yeah. I hope he has more of this in his wheelhouse. I hope he has more bait in his bucket to come back to us with more of this kind of story. Absolutely. Just don't take the nitpicking as a negative of the whole, is what I guess I'm trying to say. Right. Absolutely. And also, real quick shout-out to Laurie Rose, the cinematographer. Just before we get to our TLDL, I just definitely want to give a shout-out to Laurie Rose because that is great job with the cinematography. So, TLDL, Nathan, let's get right to Too it. Too long, didn't listen. Yeah, this is a section where we give you our closing or final thoughts on the movie that we were talking in our episode today. So, Nathan, archive, TLDL. Hopefully, if you got to this point, you've already seen the movie. But if you haven't, definitely check it out, even with all the spoilers we have dropped. It is an enjoyable movie. At the same time, it is going to be a great date movie for when you are with your significant other and you just want to sit down for a quiet night to watch a movie if you find out they have not seen this movie sit them down and show it to them and yeah snuggle up on the couch with some popcorn and have a good night definitely this is a great movie for that purpose absolutely a great date night movie just more echoing of that as nathan mentioned before don't let our nitpicking our pointing of the issues of this movie detract from your experience of watching it it is definitely still a good movie definitely a recommendation it's an as nathan mentioned it's an original story it's not a sequel it's not based on any comics or anything like that it's an original story it's a really good original story again i do still have my issues with the ending but it doesn't make that journey feel like it was a waste of time it didn't feel that way and so definitely check it out so yeah so daniel final question for the day the idea of being able to store somebody in an archive even if it's slowly fading is there anyone that you really wish you could have just a few final phone calls to say goodbye to man yeah i mean i actually never met my granddad from my mom's side so it would have been cool to have 
being able to get a chance to you know hear his voice and say goodbye or any of that kind of stuff it would have been great so yeah i mean i hope that technology comes and i hope that it's obviously a total and complete conscious decision that human beings will make on whether or not they want their brains to continue to remain existing even after their bodies have and are not in that same path right that's also a really good question right would you allow yourself to be put into an archive yeah exactly tell us both yeah tell us what your thought is is if this is your dreamscape that your life would be put into if you're in the archive of trying to be trapped in this repeating day to outlive the final thoughts and moments you had before death it might be great for the living but is it morally okay for the deceased to keep them trapped like that right tell us tell us what you think on facebook at streaming thoughts and on twitter at streaming geek Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Do send us your reviews on Apple Podcasts if you can. We would appreciate that. Yeah, we definitely appreciate any reviews, any feedback. If you have any current events, topics that you want us to discuss or you think are of interest to the podcast, you can send those to us. So this has been Nathan. This has been Daniel. Thank, Thank you for, you for listening. listening.